Today's 9-11. It's the 15th anniversary of the day that uh, I remember where I was, and I suspect most of you who are more than 15 years of age remember where you were as well. And so this morning, I simply want to be reminded that we live in a country where uh, to this point, praise God, we have the opportunity to do what we're doing, to open God's word and to consider what he has said, and then to just pray and ask uh, God's special blessing on the men and women around the world who are protecting us and our interest, and to pray and ask that God would also be with the, the first responders who, the reality is the day they woke up on September the 11th didn't know uh, that they would be running headlong into some towers that would, would ultimately fall upon them. Uh, they remind us of Jesus, do they not? in their selflessness. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us this morning to understand what you have said to us through your prophet Jonah. God, the humility that it took in this prophet to, to tell on himself. There's an example for us in that. God, we, we only have the story of Jonah because Jonah was willing to tell it and we're grateful that he was. We pray that we would be edified by it, that we would learn. And, and as we think about what today is in our country's history, God, help us to think about this day as you would think about it. We pray for law enforcement and first responders and for uh, our national defense, God, that you would, you would be with every man and woman and family that is committed to, to securing the people of the United States of America. We pray you would bless them this day. And in the days to come, protect them, God, in their line of service. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you read Jonah chapter 1 with me? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence, literally the face. The word there, presence, is literally the face of the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Literally, he personifies the ship. The ship was thinking it was going to break up. That's how bad it was. Even the ship thought it was going down, not just the sailors. Verse 5, Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below, meaning he had gone down, into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. There's multiple words for sleep in Hebrew. This is the one that means dead asleep. Verse 6. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots. So we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? 
For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence or the face of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on, my, on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So... They picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Next week, we will begin in verse 17 of chapter 1. Jonah is a book right in the middle of a series of books about God's certain judgment and His certain salvation. We get Jonah, which reminds us that God's salvation is not just for Israel, it's for all people. It's for all nations. It's even for the enemies of God's people. It's even for the most wicked and the vile among us. On September the 11th, we often speak in terms of us versus them, citizens versus terrorists, good versus evil. But Jonah is a reminder that God's grace can overcome even the most horrific wickedness as it ultimately does in Nineveh. It's also a warning that we, like Jonah, can forget that we, just like the Ninevites, did not deserve God's grace any more than they did. That is, by the way, what we're saying when we take to Facebook after terrorists attack us and we share messages of hate for those who hate us. We are implying, are we not, that they are beyond the reach of God's grace, that Christ has not died for them. When Muslim terrorists flew our planes into our buildings seeking to destroy our way of life, did we pray for people like them from countries from which they came? Did we pray that God would open their eyes to his overcoming grace, that he might even use us and our children to bring the message of the hope of the gospel to them? Or did we simply talk about the enemy? September the 11th and all the emotion of that day is a helpful reminder as we come to the book of Jonah. The story of a prophet sent to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria, one of Israel's fiercest enemies. It is a reminder that God is a missionary God, taking His grace not just to Israelites, but to all peoples. And He commands us, North Roanoke Baptist Church, to be a part of that process. So I want to share with you very quickly six observations from the book of Jonah about a church and a people and a person who will be faithfully engaged in God's mission. You see, the call to be a missionary is not a special call unto an individual. It is a call that comes to every Christian. Every Christian is called to be on mission, yes, some in a distant land, but everybody is commissioned to take the gospel, not just to the convenient people around us, but to the people who don't look like us, talk like us, smell like us, the people we might even say are our enemies. To be engaged in God's mission, there's six things we must understand. First, our past experience of God's grace does not exempt us from future service in extending His 
grace. I want to summarize this point by saying, look who the message comes to. It comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah is a prophet who is named back in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He served at a time of a king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet God gave Jonah a prophecy that allowed the boundary of Israel to be extended and the people of Israel prospered even during the reign of an evil king. In other words, they were blessed even though they didn't deserve it. God allowed them through the word given to Jonah to experience his grace even though they didn't deserve it. In other words, Jonah had some check marks on his Christian service belt. He had been a deacon. He'd been a Sunday school teacher. He was even a generous giver in, in the church. And he was a prophet of God that God spoke to at a time that Israel didn't deserve to have her boundary extended. And he said, Jonah, here's what you're going to do in order for the boundary of your nation to be extended. And guess what? You're going to not be overcome at this time by your enemies. You know, in the Christian life, I've seen it over and over and over again. We get comfortable with what we've done in our past. Well, let me tell you what I used to do in the church. Let me tell you who I used to be in the church. Do you know what my position or my title is in that church? Did you know God isn't as impressed as you are? Did you know that he's still calling you to deeper levels of devotion and service? Even a prophet that had been used to bring God's grace to God's people would still be called to be on mission to God's enemies. But secondly, for us to be faithfully engaged in God's mission, we must understand that God is sending us to our enemies. God overcomes our self-righteous assumptions about the people he's sending us to. We all do it, whether we say it with our mouths or just think it with our minds, People drive by us in their cars, they cut us off, they act in a weird way, and we say, what's wrong with those people? They, they do silly stuff like create bomb threats in our local schools, and we, we, we go say, well, well, they're crazy, what's wrong with them? I would never do that, my kid would never do this. Really? How do you know? What do we have that we haven't received by the grace of God? God is sending us to the people we think are obnoxious and weird and ugly and self-destructive. God wants to save them. The Ninevites were known as some of the cruelest people in the ancient world. They were the ISIS of Jonah's day. When they conquered a city, they would skin alive many of the men, women, and children. They would spread their skins over the city walls. Then they would bury these people, still living, by the way, up to their heads in the sand, pull their tongues out, drive a stake through their tongue so that they would languish in pain, dying of thirst. They boasted of what they did with women. They beheaded people and they made a mountain of skulls outside the city and they put a sign in it that said, this is what happens to those who dare oppose the Assyrians. That was the people to whom to whom Jonah was sent. North Roanoke Baptist Church, God is sending us to our enemies. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
God's commission is not a comfortable commission. God's command is not a comfortable command. As Alexander writes, to those who appeal on the basis of their special relationship with God, well, I've been saved and isn't that great? It's all about me. To those who appeal on what God's done in their life for the overthrow of their enemies, the book of Jonah offers a stern rebuke. The command to arise and go in verse 2 means that Jonah isn't supposed to second guess what he's doing. He doesn't just say go, he says arise and go. Now some of you are like, I know God's calling me to go, but there's a million things I need to do before I go. I got to get everything perfect and then I'll go. But that's not what God says. He says arise and go. Now I don't know about you, but I have two kids, one eight, one five. And, and if, if we're going to go do something that's boring, like go to Kroger yesterday. <laughs> Riveting family activity, planning for today's picnic. Do I have to? I really don't want to. It's going to take. It took them 15 minutes to get their shoes on and get in the car so we could go to Kroger. But I guarantee you, if I go home next Sunday afternoon, not this because we have the picnic, but if I go home next Sunday afternoon and say, kids, we're going to go swimming at Green Ridge Rec Center. They will be out of their Sunday clothes and into their swimsuits and have their shoes on and be sitting in the van. And Samuel will probably figure out how to get a smartphone and text me and say, where are you, Dad? I mean, they will get up and go. And that's the command to Jonah. You are supposed to get up and go to Nineveh. We don't know the details of Jonah's message, but we know the reason for his message. The wickedness of greater Nineveh, that great city. Don't miss the word great. It's all throughout the book of Jonah. It's a great storm. It's a great wind. They feared greatly. They are, Jonah is commissioned to go to a great city, which by the way means greater Nineveh, right? Not just the city Nineveh, but the surrounding territory, sort of the capital region of Assyria. Go there and let them know that their wickedness has come up before me. Much like Sodom and Gomorrah, when the people of the surrounding territories were so oppressed by Sodom and Gomorrah that they cried out to God and God heard their cry. And God is sending his prophet to say, I'm very aware of your wickedness. And this can go one of two ways. But Jonah doesn't arise and go. He arises and flees. Verse 3. To be faithfully engaged in God's mission, thirdly, we must understand that not going where God is sending us is rebellion for which we are accountable. If you're taking notes this morning, write that one down. See, we often think, well, I just won't go and somebody else will do it. God's going to give me a giant pass the buck on to whoever else the next guy is. But not going where God is sending us is rebellion for which we are accountable. And the first people who recognize that in the text, incidentally, are the pagan sailors. So Jonah, trying to get away from God's face, meaning his favorable presence. He'd rather just not have to deal with the presence of God in his life, the face of God in his life. He goes to Tarshish, which is mentioned three times in verse three. Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Do you hear Nineveh in that? No, Tarshish. You know where Tarshish is? It's 1,500 miles away from Nineveh in the opposite direction. 
Ezekiel 27, 12, we learn a little bit about Tarshish. The prophet is pronouncing judgment against Tyre, and he tells us that Tarshish was a city of abundance. It had a lot of money and wealth and comfort to offer. Surprise, surprise, where does Jonah want to go? He wants to go on a nice little beach vacation to a city that has some luxury when God calls him to do the exact opposite thing. Tarshish was 1,500 miles and a pure heart away from God's mission. As Alexander states, his action is nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. Sin, North Roanoke Baptist Church, sin is going the opposite direction of where God is taking you. Where's God taking you this morning? How is he calling you to get out of your comfort zone? What is God stirring within your heart that you know he's leading you to do something that that destroys all your assumptions, that requires you to understand afresh that His grace isn't just for you and people like you, but it's for people not like you and people that, in truth, we really probably wouldn't like that much, except for the fact we understand that God loves them and He came to die for them. Now, I don't know about you, but some of you are like me this morning. When God says, arise and go, you get up and you go somewhere. You just don't want to go all the way to Nineveh, right? I mean, I'm not going to go all the way to Tarshish. I don't want to be that disobedient. I don't want to go 1,500 miles in the opposite direction of God's call. Maybe I'll just go 750. That's exactly what I did when I was at Virginia Tech while I was in this period of life where I was running from God's call to be a pastor for 10 years of my life. You know what I did during that time? I was a deacon. I was a chairman of the deacon. I was vice chairman of the stewardship committee. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was knocking on doors and witnessing Oh, man, I rationalized it. I justified it. I am comfortable. My folks are there. My wife's folks are there. I love this community, and I don't have to do anything about God's call to go and prepare to preach the gospel because I got this nice, cozy little compromise. You know what that is? It's Tarshish. And when we go to Tarshish, Whether we realize it or not, God sends a storm for which we are accountable. In verse 7 and in verse 8, the pagan sailors ask, who's responsible for this storm that's come upon us? And finally, in verse 12, Jonah says, I know on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. What storms, North Roanoke Baptist Church, might be raging in the world today? What storms might be raging around the world today? Because the church has neglected her charge to arise and go. We watch Fox News and see an in and we point our fingers, but what storms and hot spots around the world might be raging because no one has dared or endeavored to take the gospel to the nearly 3.5 billion people who have little to no access to the gospel, more than 1 billion people who still have not heard the name of Jesus, who could walk for a month and not see a Christian, a church, or a Bible. Why are the storms raging around the world today? Where, pray tell, is the church, when we are tempted to reject the mission, we must count the costs. God holds us personally accountable, and other people are impacted by our rebellion. 
Fourthly, to be faithfully engaged in God's mission, we must understand that the Lord will send a storm to reveal your rebellion. When we ignore, compromise, or unnecessarily delay God's call to go to the great city, the Lord, which is emphasized in verse 4, the Lord will hurl a great wind upon the sea of your life, and he will cause a great storm in your life. Why? Because a gracious God will not let us remain comfortable in defiance of his gracious will. Like Jonah, we want to drown out the call to reach the hard places and hard people by putting our head in the sand and giving ourselves a pass on God's command. And when we do, like Jonah in verse 5, we are on our way down. Did you see the repetition of the word down? Jonah goes down to Tarshish. He goes down to the boat. He goes down to the lowest part of the boat where he lays down. What is the point that Jonah's trying to make when he says down, 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 down? It's real, real sophisticated this morning. When you try to flee the face of God to avoid his mission, your life is on the way down. While the ship is about to break up, verse 4, Jonah is sleeping soundly, and it's the captain of the pagan sailors, and you know what they say about sailors. He comes to him and gives him the same command that God had given him four verses earlier. Get up, arise, and call on your God. Jonah's got to be going, what in the world is going on? I'm down in the deepest part of a boat that's going 1,500 miles away from where God is going, and a pagan sailor's telling me to get up, which is exactly what God just told me to do. God, leave me alone already. God will send a storm to shake you out of your rebellion. And he might even use a pagan sailor to let you know with riveting clarity how rebellious you have been. Here's the great irony. These accomplished pagan sailors recognize that this storm requires a supernatural explanation. They're crying out to their God. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're doing everything they can to make the ship seaworthy and they can't do it. They can throw all the cargo overboard they want to, but the boat cannot withstand the weight of Jonah's rebellion. And in verse 7, when the pagan sailors cast lots to determine who's responsible for the storm, God is at work even in the casting of the lot. He's at work in the sending of the storm and the casting of the lots. And guess what? Jonah's lot is drawn. The sovereign God will not let his true child persist in active rebellion against his will. Here's good news for you. If a storm is raging in your life because you've rejected or abandoned God's call to do something in his mission and he's stirring within your soul and there's a storm in your life, that's evidence that you belong to God. He's saying to you, go chase my mission. Better to know the face of God than have to be tossed over and over and over by the storm. Fifthly, to be faithfully engaged in God's mission, we must understand God's unwillingness to let us continue in rebellion is a witness to those who do not yet know Him. Aren't you glad that God won't let your rebellion stand? What if He did? What would that say about God? What would it say about his love for his people? His love for you, his love for his mission, his faithfulness to his mission, his commitment to reaching all nations. But more than just stopping our rebellion, because he's not just an inanimate object out there, he is a living God. He is life and breath and spirit, and he is 
personality. He loves you personally. He calls you personally. And because he's personally vested in every single one of you, he won't give up on you when you rebel. He'll send the storm. And guess what? As he brings you back into his mission, he will even use the process of bringing you back as a witness to the world who doesn't know him yet. Because the world's got a, the pagan sailors, they serve these impersonal gods. They try to do stuff to please their God, to make their God happy. Then all of a sudden, Jonah says, I'm fleeing the face of a personal God who has shown up in my life and he's holding me accountable. Those pagan sailors have to wrestle with a God who's personal. And when I finally surrendered to God's call to ministry and quit a very well-paying job and sold our house in four days and moved to Wake Forest and didn't have a job or an income or anything, when we did that, it opened up doors of plenty for me to tell people about my wilderness wandering, for me to tell people about the decade that I had spent putting off the call of God in my life. And if God is calling you to do something this morning, if he's leading you to launch out in faith and pursue even your enemies this morning, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He will bring opportunities for you to say to people as you leave your job, as you leave where you live, as you leave whatever it is that God would have you to leave as you pursue his mission, he will even use that process as a witness to the nations that he indeed is God. Look at the progression of fear in the text. In verse 5, the sailors are afraid and they call on their gods. In verse 10, after we get the great confession of Jonah in verse 9, they become extremely frightened and they feared a great fear. Then... In verse 16, after begging God to hold them innocent of the blood of his prophet, after trying to row even more feverishly against the storm, you see what Jesus, you see what God does? He just makes the storm stormier. In verse 16, after they do the deed, after they throw Jonah overboard and the sea becomes calm, look what happens. The men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows they started out they were just afraid <laughs> we'll just call on any old God who's out there but by verse 16 they feared the Lord who made the sea that was raging against them who made the dry land who made it all and who was personally interested in his prophet and would not let him go until the prophet once again saw the face of his great God and they bowed and worshiped this God but finally to be faithfully engaged in God's mission we must understand that the storm doesn't end until we're willing to die The storm doesn't end till we're willing to die. That's what the Christian life is, is it not? Death to self, death to comfort, death to addiction, death to pornography, death to my plan, my dreams, my way, death to my prerogatives, and being alive to God and to others. Do you see what they ask? What do we have to do to you, that the sea might become calm for us. Are you willing to be like Christ in the world? 
Are you willing to be given over to death so that those who do not yet know that Jesus took death for them, that they might know that they can have life through the one who has taken your death for you? Jonah in verse 9 has a great confession of faith, but he's really not still serious about God. But I believe it's the cries of the sailors that awaken him to the mission of God. Look what they say in verse 10. How could you do this? And then they say in verse 11, what should we do? North Roanoke, can we hear the cries? Do you hear the cries of the people who don't yet know about this great God? How could you do this? What must we do? Jonah answers, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. The sailors tried to row to shore. They pleaded with God like Pilate pled with God when he threw Jesus to the cross. They pleaded to be held innocent of Jonah's blood, and the sea immediately stopped its raging. North Roanoke Baptist Church, our storm has already been calmed by a Hebrew prophet. Our storm has already been calmed by the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and the prophet greater than Moses, the one who slept in the boat, not because he was trying to avoid the face of God, but because he is the face of God. We have been rescued by an innocent one whose clothes were taken by soldiers as they cast lots for him, but the lots should have come up for us, but he died in our place. We have been rescued by one who could say, pick me up and throw me on the cross because I know this great storm has come upon me on account of all of them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We are free to die for those who do not yet know this God who has died for them because he has already died for us. There is no fear in death even as we go to our enemies because God gave his life that we might be deployed to go on mission to our enemies. So I submit to you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, let us become a church that is known for the fact that we are arising and we are going and we are praying and we are deploying and we are sending. We are going to our enemies as we praise God for his overcoming grace. He even overcomes the reluctance of those who this morning are still hanging on, not yet wanting to go. North Roanoke, when we give up, the storm stops. Jonah goes down and the ship is saved. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I don't know what you're calling us to this morning. 
But I know there's people all throughout this valley, there's people across this commonwealth, there's people across this nation that, that when we see news stories about those people, that in our flesh we're tempted to, to think that they're our enemies, that they're outside the grace of God. And yet you've shown us so clearly in Jonah that you're calling us to reach those people, not to stand still and rest in who we are and what we've already become, but you're calling us to go, to be on mission in the hard and uncomfortable places. God, I, I don't know what you're doing in every heart this morning, but I know you're calling us to deeper levels of sacrifice. You're calling us to greater w willingness you're calling us to new perspective on people who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, smell like us. So God, I pray in the moments to come that those who need to respond, who've been rebelling and they know that this sermon was for them, that they're in the heart of rebellion right now, that they'd come and they'd, they'd confess that you are the one true God and that they want to give themselves over so that the nations might know that you are God. God, for others who are guests this morning, want to be a part of a church that wants to be on mission, wants to see your overcoming grace go to the ends of the earth. They want to partner with a church that wants to do that. God, I, I pray they'd come and partner with us. Join us in this great work. And for others, God, they haven't even been able to get started yet because they haven't died to self the first time by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So God, you have your will and your way as we sing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.